What is up, my friend? Welcome to episode number 54, all about the art of closing sales using Zoom. I'm bringing on a guy who's a master closer in the high-ticket coaching industry. He regularly closes over seven figures a year. He's a super young dude, which is incredible. And if there's one thing tactically that moves the needle in the game of being a coach, a consultant, or course creator, it's learning how to master the art of closing sales. Now, I use the word art very purposely here because it's a skill set that has nuances to it that you can really only truly learn when you're playing the game. So if you want to learn how to increase your closing ratio and make more sales, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Anthony John Amex Podcast, helping entrepreneurs break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. Prepare to open your mind to the proven tactics and strategies the world's leading intellects have used to avoid a stagnant career and achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. It's time to increase your levels of power with your host, Anthony John Amex. All right, welcome back. Today I'm bringing you Grant Eilertson. If you don't know the guy, you're missing out because he's a wonderful human being. He has just like a huge heart and he's just like sharp, man. He's a community college dropout who leveraged the pain of losing his sister into living on purpose as a catalyst for evolution, impact, and freedom for as many people as he can connect with. He has built multiple six and seven figure businesses in the online coaching space and has coached hundreds of others into higher potential with his uniquely authentic, loving, committed sales and coaching uh, processes. And what really fulfills him the most is the fact that his clients regularly look back on their enrollment call with him as not just like the start of a new coaching program, but a distinct turning point in their life when they made an empowered decision to truly live on purpose. And this, my friend, is why I wanted to bring him to you today. Now, before I bring Grant onto the show, I have a special gift for you for simply just listening. I've written a book called Mindset is Not Enough, which is all about the number one thing that allows an entrepreneur to scale their business, lead their teams, and find fulfillment in a sustainable way. And I want to give you exclusive access to the entire book for free. You can't get the book anywhere else. So please take a second right now and go to ajamix.com book to download the entire digital version for free. Again, to get the entire book, all you have to do is go to ajamix.com book and you'll be able to just download it. So with that being said, let's get into today's show. Boom. Grant, welcome to the podcast, man. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, brother. Thanks for bringing me on. Dude, I, I am too, man. I actually learned about you from a good friend, Jonathan Heston. You guys are plugged in from, I think, from Andrew's community. Is that where you guys had connected? Yeah, we worked together for a little while at Tribe of Buyers, and he's yeah. just a heart of gold, awesome human. So I know anyone he's connected with has uh, got to be very similar. Awesome, dude. Well, dude, I'm excited. Uh, today, we're going to talk about like the art of closing sales. We'll definitely kind of tailor this to Zoom, which is definitely, I think, trending huge right now with the whole COVID thing. I've been using Zoom and selling on Zoom uh, before it was cool, just because it seems to be easier. So we'll talk about that and how it's like increasing your closing ratio and how we can help some people with that. But before we do that, I really want to dig into like your story a bit. Like what led you into this game of mastering sales? Because it is definitely a game of mastery. It's something that you're a Jedi at. And it was, I believe, your sister's uh, passing that was the catalyst. But it's interesting to me that out of all of the paths you could have chosen, you chose like online sales. So how did that transpire into leading you into this game? 
Oh man. Well, it depends on how far you want to go back because truth told, I was always a bit entrepreneurial from mm. the time of being in elementary school, drawing pictures and running them through a photocopier at 10 cents a piece before right. selling them to my friends for a dollar. Uh, it's, it's always been there, but you know, growing up, we didn't have much money. And while I was rich in love, which is hugely important and I'm grateful for that every day, we didn't have any extra to spare. But that said, my parents were always really clear, if you want something, you can work for it. And so while they weren't very entrepreneurial themselves, I think they did a great job of instilling that. So I worked starting in construction from the time I was 14, had a couple different, you know, more regular jobs until I realized as long as I was trading time for money, I'd never get to where I wanted to be. At best, I might be where my parents were, which was not in my eyes a great spot long term. So. I got started selling for GNC. Actually, it was my first commission sales job because really passionate about helping people better their lives as I had a lot of family that was just super unhealthy and I took a different path. So it was for me a combination of helping people, no income ceiling. And within six months, I had actually gotten not just one store of my own, but two that I was running and I did that for about a year and a half before I felt like I was starting to top out again. It's because I didn't have any more work uh, or energy that I could put into it. So following uh, an ad online for someone that promised to be able to help build a full-time online business in the fitness space, I literally went all in. I maxed out a credit card with money I didn't have and would love to say I was an overnight success story, but I certainly was not. It was a really rough almost year of really struggling through that space of learning how to sell my services because unlike products, you're not essentially selling ingredients, you're selling the end result. And so what I had the opportunity to learn about sales in that time frame showed me that there was no other career path. I really wanted to go down any more than that. The absolute satisfaction and fulfillment that comes from being able to catalyze someone else's decision to transform their lives for the better, man, it's more addicting than any drug I've tried yet. So <laughs> I ended up partnering with my mentor that helped me actually become successful in my fitness business to build a company, helping other people to replicate that. And I just kept going deeper and deeper into the sales world, being blessed to have worked with some of the top producers ever, like Jeremy Miner, Eli Wild, and you know a few other really cool names that I'm still shocked and grateful to have been able to, you know, not just call mentors, but friends now. And uh, it just keeps growing, man. I like to say I'm going to do this as long as I'm inspired to, and I don't see an end uh, or a light at the end of that tunnel yet. Awesome. But how much money did you put on that credit card when you kind of took that leap? Yeah, it's funny. So I, um, I was living way above my means with a car I didn't need to be driving and a, a place that I didn't need to have. So even though I was making decent money running a supplement store. I didn't ever have any to spare, which is as a quick side note, why I actually built a finance group specifically to help people understand what to do after they make money so that they can actually keep it and start making it work for them. But at the time, cause I only had a couple hundred bucks to my name in a checking account and rent coming up, I ended up pulling out a brand new American Express card and maxing out the $6,000 limit to uh, hire my first coach. And that was scary. But 
I look back on that and that was one of the most life altering decisions I ever made for the best because without having done that, getting out of my comfort zone and taking a chance on my possibilities instead of staying stuck in my circumstance, I wouldn't be friends with any of the amazing online people these days. And I certainly wouldn't have been able to travel the world for the past couple of years unencumbered. Yeah. Dude, it's, it's interesting that you say the amount that you spent was six grand because that was the exact amount that I actually spent on my first mentor, which was Garrett J. White in 2012. I did not have 6K lying around. I had to go apply for credit cards. Uh, I think one denied me. I remember, dude, I was so committed. I went to the bank and I was like, can you guys give me a loan on my truck? My truck, because I didn't even want uh, a credit card. Because I grew up, you know, pretty poor too. And I was like, you don't put money on credit cards. You, you don't spend money you don't have. That was kind of the mindset that was really instilled into me. So I was like, okay, well, what assets do I have that I can leverage? I have a car that's paid for. Maybe they'll give me a loan against my car. Well, they wouldn't do that <laughs> because it was so old. And, no. and I was like, okay, well, what else could I do? And so then I, I eventually turned to a credit card, got approved. And I think only it was approved like a grand at that time. So I only had enough to put the first payment on. And I even told him, I was like, dude, I got enough for the first payment and I will do whatever is required to make this thing happen. And so I never looked back, man. And I made, made all the payments, made it work. And that was one of the best decisions that I'd ever made. But I'm curious for you, I know what it was for me and I'm happy to share, but I'm curious for you. Uh, did you have some of that mindset upbringing too, where it was like, you don't put things on a credit card, you don't spend more money than you have. Did you have some of that culture conditioning for you as well? Oh, 100%. I mean, it was always one of those things where we didn't get to have it because we didn't have the money and a credit card was never an excuse because right. my mom was extremely on me from an early age. Like, this is not your money. You don't ever spend anything on it that you don't have in your account, which yeah. although sound financial advice, sure, for people that are stuck in the middle class or lower class kind of uh, you know, economic state, Unfortunately, that mental programming will keep you from being able to progress up through the ranks. Yep. I mean, the richest people in the world got there because they understood how to effectively manage risk and use leverage. They didn't get there by paying for everything in full. In fact, we get into this a little bit in the finance group, but like ultimately one of the most powerful forces that you can utilize in the financial space is leverage to be able to control an asset or to be able to develop your skill set to a level that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. Yeah. And the right kind of investment can in fact even offset inflation, which is a huge way that you can leverage debt like George Anton talks about in Debt Millionaire to get ahead of the forces that are already working towards or working to keep us down. So it was a massive, to answer your question, massive mental hurdle to jump over to actually do that, to bet on my potential yep. instead of like stay comfortable with circumstances. Totally. And I like how you put it. It's, it really is betting on your potential. It really is having enough trust and respect for yourself that you're going to do what's required to make that investment pay off. You know? And I think even in the financial space, I hear people talking about using other people's money, OPM, OPM. And I'm a big proponent of like in any game that we're playing, it seems like the power is kind of found uh, in that dance in the middle ground. It's like you could you could almost be like, you know, if we looked at other people's money, one extreme, never use other people's money. On the other side, only use other people's money. And then there's like where intelligent, conscious people are at in a place of power where they're they're dancing, where they're like using other people's money, but they're also willing to spend their own and they're like 
Do I really need to use other people's money? Can I trust my, and respect myself to use my own money rather than use other people's money? What are your thoughts on that middle ground for other people's money rather than taking it to the far extremes? Yeah, well, I love the question. And in fact, I'm remembering a comment that you left on one of my posts that immediately let me understand kind of your viewpoint on the world as a whole, which was this isn't an either or game. And if you're, I would imagine you're familiar with uh, spiral dynamics, right? It's a very low vibrational frequency, essentially, to be in this, this or that mentality. But it's an evolutionary stage we all go through depending 100%. on when we go through it. But when you get to that point where it's like, no, it's not that black and white. Like now I'm starting to know enough to know I don't know that much. And it's really not that cut and dry. You and me both. <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. So yeah, it's, it's a matter of finding the balance. And that's where I was talking about effective risk management. Yeah. Because before you go and, and you, you know, bet the house on, on this next investment, there are certain things that tactically you need to understand that they don't teach in school. Like, for example, being able to calculate a loan constant so that you can project your necessary gains in order to even break even. Because it's not what most people think. Like a 30-year fixed rate loan at 3.75% doesn't actually cost you 3.75%. If you can factor out the loan constant, it could be more like 5%, meaning you've got to know that you're going to be able to secure better returns than that. We get a little overcomplicated there. <laughs> we dive too much into it. But if you're a finance nerd like me, join the community. I'd love to see you in there. And what's the name of the community so people can go search it on Facebook? Yeah, it's called Financial Finessing for financial freedom, money, awesome. tips, tools, and talks. Awesome. Yeah, that's been a game for me that my wife and I have been recently playing. And a, a big, huge, like mind-changing and really life-changing uh, book for me recently was Tony Robbins. I call it his new book, but it's almost like five years old now, uh, Money Master the Game. That taught mm -hmm. me so many principles on fees and how much, you know, the difference between have a broker and a fiduciary. And if you have a broker, then how much this is actually costing you, which I had a broker at the time. And then I, I, I took that book and asked him so many questions and he had no answers for me. So now we're working with a, a new person. He was a great guy. <laughs> it was just like almost there's levels to the game. And my wife and I being entrepreneurial, there's certain ways of doing things that require a different strategy than somebody who's just in corporate America with this, you know, they have a ceiling and they're working with the confines of the ceiling. It's just a different game. There's no right or wrong. It's just a different game. But that book was a huge wake up call for me to be like, I'm playing this game, but that's the wrong game. I'm actually called to play this game. And so we've had massive transformations financially due to that book. It's awesome. Oh, no doubt. It's fantastic reading. Just a personal recommendation if you're, if you're book hungry like me. Unfortunately, they're not on Audible, but you can find the paperback copies on Amazon all three books from George Anton, uh, The Debt Millionaire, Banker's Code, and Wealthy Code. It's like next level. You know how you're talking about how there's certain levels where it's like live below your means. Right. Don't spend money you don't have. Right. Diversify your assets. Then you've got other things like understanding middle ground. This is like higher level where you're starting to utilize some of these financial vehicles to your advantage that a lot of times people aren't even aware that you can. Yeah. And that I get, I get, I nerd out on that. I know we got to get into some sales <laughs> stuff, but <laughs> yeah. So let, let's bring it back to sales because you and I could talk about finance. This is a new thing for me, and I'm just developing the vocabulary uh, around it to be able to, to even communicate. 
Uh, so we'll get back into sales. So why do you think mastering the sales game is important for like coaches, consultants, and course creators? A million reasons. I mean, ultimately, everything that you do in your business can be boiled down to be in support of sales. Like sales is the one thing that puts money into your business. Everything else is there to ensure that you can keep making sales, even down to great customer fulfillment. If you don't have great customer fulfillment, you're not going to be able to keep making sales because you won't be able to back it up with results. You won't have testimonials. You'll have unhappy clients and that's where a business will fall apart. But anyway, to answer the question, man, like sales is the, it's the lifeblood of your business. Yeah. But even above that, what I don't think a lot of people realize is what's super different about product sales versus coaching sales is product sales is very just straight up transactional. You might go to a car lot, you talk with a guy for an hour, two hours, you walk away with a car, that's the end of the relationship until maybe you need another car again. However, with coaching sales, it's really just the introduction to this new relationship that's going to continue going on. And so how that conversation goes beyond just, did I close the sale or did I not close the sale? How that conversation goes ultimately, I believe is going to determine in a large part the client's success in the program. Like if you were to bring someone in just as an example, only using sales tactics and methods that were popularized in the 80s, canned rebuttals, you know, dig the pain until they can't possibly stand it anymore. You bring someone into your programs in that energy then you've got exponentially more work to do as a coach to shift them now into a positive growth mindset because you brought them in in a scarcity mindset, which is going to be difficult to then foster results from, right? Same way if, for example, you close the deal because you are essentially being like, look, I'll do everything for you. I'll make sure there's no way you can fail. When for you to create a successful long-term client, they have to be fully responsible for their results. So it's how do we frame these, these calls in a way that they're taking responsibility. They're making an empowered decision to move forward. That's going to set the tone for your coaching relationship. And so it's super important that they're conducted effectively. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me. How do you like to conduct those calls to set that frame powerfully? So I have uh, a really simple framework because I, I hate scripts. Ultimately, especially if you're going to be on zoom, you're interacting with a real human. And so if I'm sitting here reading a script, it disassociates me from that. And one of the most enrolling things that you can do is be fully authentically present with another human such that they feel heard and understood because when they feel heard and understood, then they'll be willing to trust your guidance. If they don't, then they won't. It's like walking into a doctor's office, knocking on the window and a hand just reaches out with Vicodin. How likely are you willing to, or how likely would you be to trust the prescription? Not very. So what's really important is that you have a sales process that allows you to be a human, have a real authentic conversation, but just check off the important points. And there's really seven questions that must be answered in the context of an enrollment call that will either make or break your ability to close the deal in a way that actually effectively frames the coaching relationship. And I'm happy to give away my framework that people have been using to close, you know, between $1,500 and $30,000 deals with one call closes, just utilizing that framework if you think it'd be valuable for people.
Yeah, I think it'd be very valuable. How could we give it away? Do we want to talk about it here or do we want to send them somewhere? Well, I'll tell you what, if you, whatever platform you're watching or listening to this on, if you have the ability to comment, drop hashtag seven questions and we'll reach out to you to deliver the document. And if not, just send me a friend request on Facebook at Grant, G-R-A-N-T, Eilertson, E-I-L-E-R-T-S-O-N. And I'll go ahead and shoot that over to you if you just send, uh, send me a message saying, hey, I'd love those seven questions. We can give a, a little overview as to those things here, though, so that it's actionable. Sure, let's do that. Okay. So essentially, there's three what questions and three why questions that we need to have full clarity around in the context of an enrollment call. And then there's one question that's like the sometimes why, right? Like where it could either be phrased as a what or a why. And so those are as follows. Essentially, we need to be clear on one, what hurts? So what's not working about someone's current situation that has them looking to make a change in the first place? This is also what you could be referring to as like, what's the pain? What is the pain they're in? Then we have, what do they want? And what we need to really hammer in here is that these aren't surface level answers. We're not just looking for something just as an example, like, Oh, I just want to lose 15 pounds or yeah, I want to make 10 K a month. Right. We're not just looking for surface level. We're looking for actual emotional implications. And we could get into that if we had more time, but the real important thing is getting down to the emotional root. So what hurts, what do they want? And then what's the cost if nothing changes? So after I run through the questions, so stick around for another moment, I'll give a little bit of context as to how these questions are actually going to mitigate objections so that you can have objectionless closes that don't come from external pressure, but are intrinsic pressure. Huge difference in how the call feels. So you've got what hurts? What do you want? What's the cost if nothing changes? And then we've got our whys. So our why questions are... Why is this important to you? Why now? Why, like, so why is it important that you make this decision now? And why me? Why do you think I'd be the right fit to help you solve this problem? And then the last question that's that, like sometimes why, is um, essentially why have you not been able to solve this problem on your own? Or what has kept you from being able to move through this you know, problem on your own? So first off, any questions about those questions uh, oh, so they make, far? They make perfect sense to me, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So what's important to remember and drill this into your brain or write it down on a piece of paper, selling is not telling. Again, selling is not telling. Ultimately, selling is strategic sequences of questions that allow your prospect to discover their own answers from within so that they can make an empowered decision with you to move forward. And so a couple of those questions that are really powerful where maybe people are just kind of trying to hit on, on the same thing but doing it ineffectively is instead of me getting on a call and telling you all about why I'm the best in the world, trying to sing my praises. I want to ask, why do you think I would be the right fit to help you solve this problem? Because ultimately, if I say it, you'll doubt it. It's just how our brains work. 
if I say it, you doubt it. But if you say it, you own it. Again, if I say it, you doubt it. If you say it, you own it. And so what I want, instead of me trying to put myself on a pedestal again and tell you why, now is the time you need to make a change. I want to ask you. So you could have done this at any point over the past year that you've been struggling with this challenge. I mean, why is it so important for you to get this solved now? Because if you've ever read a book like Never Split the Difference, you probably remember Chris Voss talking about how why questions should be avoided at all costs. Because what it does is it forces your prospect or the person in, on the other side of the conversation to dig their heels in, right? And to create a case for that. But if you can actually flip the script and have that why argument be arguing in your favor, now we've got some magic sauce. Because naturally, if we can take advantage of that just normal human process of digging the heels in, but it's in your benefit, then they get to experience the emotional triggers that are necessary and it gets to be from them. So it doesn't feel forced. It actually feels like they're getting exactly what they want. Awesome. So if we address those things like, why me? Then we're mitigating the objection of, well, I've been looking at eight other coaches and you know, I wanna get on a few more calls and see. If we address the, why now? And they're telling us, well, I got to get this solved right now because it's costing me this much amount in potential revenue, for example. Then we no longer have to use things like we got an action takers discount. So if you make a decision in the next you know, five minutes, it's going to be half the price. And if you don't, it's $5,000 more dollars because that doesn't feel good. But if they have intrinsic pressure that now is the time I need to change this, then they're going to move forward and it's going to feel good. So it needs to be their choice, but you can frame your questions effectively so that their choice is aligned with the win-win outcome for everyone. Where is it is there a balance between extrinsic pieces of this and intrinsic or is it really more about intrinsic? I mean, of course there's going to be extrinsic levers that you can pull to help nudge. For example, scarcity works. But that said, if possible, I want all the pressure to be intrinsic. And so I'm going to do everything I can to help them develop and clarify that. And then if, for example, I'm at the end of the call and all that's stopping them is fear, because fear is a huge thing that blocks so many people. Even when there's something great on the other side, it can be tough to bet on your potential. Then I will at times pull out some more advanced tactics to help someone like experience some external pressure just enough to get them to take that step. Makes sense. So is most, do you find that most of the extrinsic, that's even a word, it is now. It is now. <laughs> the, ex, the external, the extrinsic values are more just in framing the offer. You know, like there, there's like offer framing is real, right? Like even I think before you could have the best sales guy in the world, but if you give him a shitty offer, he's going to have a hard time closing. You know what I mean? So do you feel like that the way that offer is created and framed is typically kind of the most levers that you need? And then the, you know, so it's almost like if that's positioned and, and framed well, then the job of a really good salesperson, the art of really closing sales is using intrinsic values, intrinsic pressure, because it's been, the offer has been, you know, already positioned well. Does that make sense? Yeah, so a couple things to clarify. What I would refer to as extrinsic pressure is like a pricing discount, for example, where maybe there's a fast action takers bonus, or there is a limited amount of spaces 
inside of a program. Like, hey, we only bring on 50 people because our intention is to keep this community very close-knit and, and supportive. And because of that, with only two spots left, my recommendation is that if you do feel this is aligned, that you do it now. Because chances are we will fill this up in the next couple of days, which means you wouldn't have access to anything like this for at least three more months. So that would be another extrinsic pressure. Right. Uh, and lastly is like, if you do like a launch model, for example, hey, the class enrollment closes tomorrow, which means if you're not in, it's going to be another three months before we can address this problem. Now you mentioned you were leaving about 5,000 a month on the table in potential revenue. Are you okay with seeing another 15 grand go down the toilet or would it make sense for you to have this solution now in spite of how uncomfortable it might be to take those steps? That's another extrinsic pressure. But when it comes to offer, so I'm not a fan of having a, a heavily rehearsed like pitch deck or you know, a canned response for here's exactly what the offer looks like. In fact, what I do is a very simple framework when I'm presenting the offer, which is as follows. I'll say something along the lines of, well, you know how you said problem? Well, what I do is solution. And for you, that means benefit. And to put it into practical terms, when you're actually discussing the solution, it should be as minimal detail as possible. Because ultimately, a confused prospect doesn't buy. And the more variables or the more things you actually speak out, the more potential objections you're creating. Because if there's more to think about, you're going to get hit with, well, I need to think about it. So when I'm phrasing an offer, it's, so Anthony, when you were telling me that as a result of not having the lead flow that you want, it's actually causing a breakdown in your sales systems, which seems to be leaving about $5,000 a month on the table. Do I have that right? Yeah. Well, because of that, what we'll implement is a simple marketing structure that allows you to, with the same amount of work you're putting in right now, yield potentially twice the amount of results. And it's just something you need to follow step by step. And what that means for you is 20 hours a week back to work on your business instead of in your business. Predictable lead flow that will allow your sales reps to have enough volume to be bringing in the monthly revenue that you want. And ultimately, once these systems are dialed in, get you to that 20, 25 grand a month that you've been shooting for. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes perfect sense. Awesome. So the solution is super small, but we're speaking to the pain and the benefit that they want. And so my offer actually looks different for every person based totally. on our conversation. Totally makes sense. Cool, man. Thanks for sharing. Next question I have, it's similar on this. So they go through this, they're you know going through the questions, they're using intrinsic pressure. They make the offer. Let's say it's a high ticket offer. Let's say it's 30K. How have you found... Uh, like a solution to somebody not projecting their own money stories, the way that they consume things like their own belief systems onto the potential client. Cause I, th I think a lot of people get stuck there. Like they're totally projecting mm. their own inadequacies onto the prospect or the way that they would buy or et cetera. So, you know, so how do have you found to handle that? Yeah. So one of the sales mentors I worked with a couple of years back was actually Jordan Belfort's right-hand man back at Stratton Oakmont. And one quote of his lives in my brain permanently. It's don't sell with your own wallet and don't buy their excuses. 
Again, don't sell with your own wallet and don't buy their excuses. I don't have, uh, for example, a, a, this epic mental process to help people overcome that, but it's really just a continual reminder. And if I could give any recommendation, it would be to look up a good money meditation that you can go through each day. I have one that I shared on YouTube that's only five minutes, but it's powerful. So I use it each day, morning and night, to continually stay in a resourceful, abundant mindset, which then allows me to not project my own baggage. Because if I was doing that, that baggage would be that of a kid who grew up on top ramen and tuna his whole life, who believed that tomorrow the world could fall apart. So I was not someone born with this super great money mindset. It's just something that's developed over time with repetition. Awesome. We are what we do repeatedly. So what I hear you say is if anybody's sitting here and they're struggling, like if they are projecting or they find something when they check in within themselves of like, man, I am projecting other people. It really is just kind of a little feedback for you to be like, man, it's time for me to go do some, some money mindset work, up level my own belief systems about money so I can actually hold space for people's potential and their capacity to create. Is that correct? A hundred percent. And one thing that's important to remember, just like when we discussed having made investments that we really couldn't afford at the start of this, one of the best ways to get great at selling expensive shit is to buy some expensive shit and understand what it actually feels like to go through that because it's really tough to hold space and guide someone through that if you haven't felt it yourself. Yeah. I had a uh, Jeremy Jean Wilson. He's a person who I've been rolling with for man, five years now. I think he's been coaching me and uh, on the life side, on the business side, on the soul side, just as a, at a human level. And one of the things he's always said that's burned into my brain is your clients will buy like you buy like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, God damn it. You're always, you're always so right. <laughs> But there's so much yeah. truth to that. It's like looking at our own buying habits and it is like coming back into like truth. It's like, how can we expect somebody to do something that we would never do? How can we expect somebody to invest? Like we never invest. And it really is like, if we're finding like, man, I'm feeling like a kind of posture. I'm asking people to do something I wouldn't do. Maybe it's time to align with the truth and like go do that thing. So you can relieve yourself of some of that guilt, some of that shame. And as a result, open up your capacity to be able to create some more and lead some more people. Good stuff. Man. That was put so well. And just hammer it in. Like if you want to be able to help someone with something, do it yourself. Lead from the front. Now, there's a lot of people in this game who are like outsource your sales game or outsource your sales game. So what are your thoughts on outsourcing? When is it time? Or should somebody just like go to, on the journey to master being a salesperson before they outsource? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, man. It's a tough one. There's a certain stage typically in people's businesses where it makes the most sense to outsource sales. Uh, and that tends to be in a coaching business. If you've got offers between 1500 and like 10 grand, once you're doing consistently 25, 30 grand a month, the time that you're likely spending on sales calls is not going to outweigh what you could be creating as a visionary of your company. So there's not a hard and fast rule, but that tends to be a pretty solid space where I've seen people make a healthy transition. But if I could give any guidance myself, like sales is the number one skill that you should have under your belt as an entrepreneur. And if you can get good enough at sales to make good money and then hire on a sales rep, you're going to actually be able to guide them towards success. So here's, here's what not to do. I think it's easier to talk about what not to do. Awesome. So don't, outsource sales 
until you have proven metrics that you could hit in your business, which means be diligent about tracking your KPIs, including how many conversations were booked, how many showed, how many times are you giving offers on a regular basis, and how many times are people closing. And once you have certain metrics that you've consistently hit for a few months that are what do I want to say, like sufficient for your business to function effectively. Now, if you bring in a sales rep and they underperform, you know that they're either going to need to have some training, pull their britches up and just work harder, or you're going to have to get rid of them and take calls again yourself because you have metrics to hit. So what I see a lot of people do is they're sloppy about tracking the KPIs necessary to offload the tasks. And so if you bring on someone not really knowing what the potential should be, and they speak a great game like every sales rep in an interview, but then they underperform and you don't know how to actually identify the gaps, then you're, you're going to start burning money. Because yep. even if you're not paying for leads, it takes time and energy to acquire organic leads. So that's a big one. A good adage is like hire when it hurts. If you're, on, if you're not able to get big picture tasks in your business done because you're spending so much time on enrollment calls, that makes, I mean, that's a good problem to have. That's now an opportunity to start leveraging your time there. I like that. That's a really good, good mark. Like when you're, yeah, when you can't, when you don't have enough time to do, yeah, to lead your team, lead, lead the vision, that's the time to like, boom, hire a salesperson. That makes sense to me. And in that, do you find that they should um, record their sales calls? Like even with Zoom, do you feel like they should record their sales calls so you can, you can see where people drop the ball? You, I mean, you could actually coach your team, right? If you have the recordings. Absolutely. Record all your calls, track your KPIs so that when you bring someone on, they can immerse themselves in exactly how you're communicating. They have metrics to hit. Like nothing's more frustrating for a potential team member that you bring on than unclear expectations as to how they can perform effectively. Because intrinsically, we all want to perform well, but a lot of entrepreneurs don't document and systematize effectively. So they bring on an A player, but they have like a system that just doesn't work well. And an A player is not going to stay along in a system that doesn't work. Yeah. And when recording the sales calls, is there a line that you like to use to get permission to record the sales calls? Because I know a lot of people have a fear like, well, what do I tell them as I'm recording the sales calls? Am I going to sound like AT&T or one of those big weird companies? Like how how do we make this non-awkward? How do you do that? (laughs) Yeah. So check with your local state guidelines because certain states actually have different regulations around this. For example, some states you don't have to have consent whatsoever. Some states both parties have to consent. Some states one party has to consent. So just check real quick. But what I use specifically when I'm actually going to mention that is like, you know, so I'll pre-frame the call and like, hey, the way these typically work best is if I ask you a few questions to get to know you and your business along with your goals And we'll see if there's anything I can help you do to bridge that gap. So what I need from you is to tell me anything and everything you think I need to know in order to guide you effectively. Does that sound good to you? Yep. Sounds good. Awesome. And just to let you know, we're on a recorded line for quality assurance purposes. Is that cool with you? Yep. All right. So first question, and we just dive into it. If you make it a big deal, they will. If you don't, they won't. So good, man. Law of being stuff. Law of being states that the world gives us exactly that, which we at our core, our core consisting of our thoughts and feelings that we hold on to predominantly. So if we're holding on to like, oh, fuck, they're going to like be weirded out. Then this is like, boop, here's an opportunity for them to be weirded out. <laughs> it's so good. Right. 
So, I mean, I've worked with companies, for example, where we've had in-house funding options where it was required that for them to take advantage, I had to get their social security number. So if I made it a big deal, they would. If I didn't, it wasn't a big deal. So if I can do that on a regular basis, you can absolutely, with tact, let people know, hey, just so you know, we do record these to make sure quality is 100%. Is that cool with you? What are some, uh, some mistakes that you see a lot of people make in running a sales call? In regards to Zoom specifically or just in general? Yeah, we'll go, we'll go Zoom and, and like we'll just go general and Zoom. General, people talk way too much. It's not about you. It's about them. And if you're too busy talking, trying to sound good, uh, you're going to sabotage. If you're trying to be liked, this is the second biggest thing. So number one is just talking too much. Number two is trying to be liked. And it's a really tough one to grasp. I have a YouTube video specifically on this. If you look up Grant Eilertson, the key distinction, it'll hammer it in for you. Because ultimately, if you're doing this to be liked, to put it bluntly, you're fucked. And so are they. Because you can't fully be of service to someone if your thoughts and your energies are aligned to trying to get them to like you. You don't have to like a doctor to pay him to put a cast on a broken bone. They have a problem, you're there to fix it. And so instead, I just invite you to, to really let sink in the belief that I'm not doing this to be liked, I'm doing this to make a difference. And oftentimes, when you're committed to making a difference in someone's life, it's going to get uncomfortable. But it's those uncomfortable calls that you choose to go the distance with and for them that actually are transformational. Because when you enroll someone in your program, they're going to change. And change happens over time. But transformation is immediate. There's, there's a shift where transformation occurs. And that's when someone decides to make a different decision. And it's usually not comfortable. So you have to be willing to go there. Again, not to be liked, but to make a difference. Yep. Awesome. Um, those are the big ones. And then the last one, just like the three cardinal sins, talking too much, trying to do this to be liked. And then three, assuming the sale. Like if you're great at marketing, you're going to have people that are basically pre-sold and they'll reach out to you saying things like, Hey, I want to do this. I, I saw this video. Sounds perfect. Just tell me how much it is. And you might be inclined to just be like, Oh yeah, hundred percent. This guy's already in six grand. Oh, you just send back six grand. Would you like the invoice? They disappear. Or you get them on a call, but you rush the call and you don't check off each of those seven integral questions. And then it ends up not closing. Because even if someone, it seems super committed, and this is, I've gone through well over a thousand calls in the past couple of years, and I've missed sales I should have closed because I got lazy, because I rested on the marketing. Even if they seem like I'm 100% in, you still got to take them through the same psychological process so that you can ensure they close and to be in full service to them. Because the clearer they are about why they're making this choice, the more likely they are to actually stick to it and follow through. Awesome. What's a good like closing ratio? Is it like if somebody's on, you know, closing 20%, that's solid. Is it 50%? Like what's kind of your rule of thumb? So it depends. Organic marketing versus paid marketing will be a little different. And I actually track two numbers, closing percentage based on calls and closing percentage based on offers. Because not every single person that ends up on the phone with you should buy. 
So you want to know how many qualified prospects are actually buying when you make a pitch. And again, like industries are different. Not everyone should be sold, yada, yada, yada. I like to shoot for a minimum of 50% call closes and more like 75% offer closes. Awesome. That tells me I'm doing a good job. There's room for improvement, but I'm also not enrolling clients that shouldn't be in the program. I don't want a hundred percent close rate because that tells me the offer is priced too low or I'm bringing on clients that I actually shouldn't be. That's a big thing. A lot of people get on themselves like, Oh man, I don't have a hundred percent closing rate. I suck this, that, the other. If you're bringing on every single client, your offer is not priced effectively to be maximally profitable and impactful for your people and, or you're bringing on people that you shouldn't. And sometimes a bad client will be more detrimental to your business than just missing the sale and it, like altogether. Yeah. Makes sense to me, man. And up to this point, we've talked about sell, sell, sells. I'm kind of curious, you know, how are you using uh, zoom? How have you found that to actually increase your closing ratio? Is it just because, you can see body language and it kind of just builds more of an in-person real connection rather than just like this voice of God coming through the telephone. (laughs) Yeah. So provided you're not married to a script, I personally would assert that zoom calls are exponentially more effective than phone calls because I mean, there's a variety of things at play you get to actually utilize body language in your communication, which is massive. More of our communication comes from body language than the words we say. So if you can actually see visibly how someone receives what you're talking about, you might pick up on nonverbal cues that you would otherwise miss in a phone call, which could allow you, for example, if you said something, Uh, and they responded with an affirmative, but their body language was a negative. You can call that out. You can say, hey, I know you just said this, but I picked up on a little bit of an energy there that was incongruent. Can we dive into that a bit? And that can make all the difference in your calls. So there's that. And then there's the simple fact that when someone is just audio-wise with our attention spans, it's so easy for people to multitask. And so by just making sure they are on video, you're automatically like increasing the amount of people that are actually present and they're in a distraction-free environment because you can see what's going on. So that was a huge thing that I noticed when I stopped doing phone sales and moved exclusively to Zoom sales because that's, that's how I do all my sales calls now. Nice. Uh, closing rate, much higher. I enjoyed it more too. Felt like I was having conversations with real yeah. people not just speaking words into this magic box and hoping money showed up. Do you use any visuals like bringing on the iPad to draw things out or anything of that nature or just have a, just a conversation? I absolutely do. I'm not as, uh, as, as high tech as a lot of people. I literally will screen share and just use the notes tab on my little uh, MacBook air to type out some stuff to show people. And I find that especially if you're dealing with an analytical personality type, them being able to see something helps a ton with removing that. I need to think about it. Or can you send me more information? Or is there a page I can see for this? That's huge. One of my good friends, Ben Slater, he runs a program called Leadflow. He's over in Australia. And he's a huge proponent of selling with visuals, using Zoom, using an iPad. 
and getting your process created into some type of visual and even almost the gap. And so one of the things he does is he has like the mountain on, you know, on the left-hand side and the mountain on the right-hand side. And he just writes down on the left-hand side kind of where they're at, the pains, the problems, and then the desires on the right-hand side. So there's this visual gap between the two. And when he starts asking them how long has, you know, you've done all, you know, exposing the gap, he writes it down in the gap and was like, what if I could help you build a bridge from mountain to mountain? So it's like oh, this that's visual fantastic. that's like that's like anchored in to everything you're saying. And that's been super, super powerful for him. And I've been doing that when I'm on sales calls and I have found it's just been a lot more fun because I get in the habit of just getting a pen and paper, having a Zoom call, taking notes like you're doing. But then when I have like this framework to draw on, it's just, it's fun. And then you're just like, hey, I'm having a great conversation. I'm drawing some cool stuff and we're just having a good time. And it really yeah. kind of invigorated my sales game a lot doing that. A lot of fun. It's, it's a huge asset to be able to walk people through visual diagrams. Even sometimes I'll type stuff out just to make sure it's super clear. And it gives me the opportunity to slow down my cadence and make sure that it lands. Awesome. And Chris Voss talks about the different tonalities and, and basically like vocal patterns you'll use. And whenever you slow down, he calls it the late night DJ voice where it's super clear, it's calm, it's neutral, and I'm giving you actionable next steps that you're going to take with a downward inflection. And it's super effective to be able to have stuff like that at your disposal. One little pro tip, if you've never done it, if you have a client community where there's a wins section, I'll oftentimes bring that up on calls where I'll screen share, because we have wins that come in every day. And I'll literally just screen share and be like, instead of me sitting here telling you all about what we've done, because testimonials are easy to fake. You've seen them. I'm sure you've seen a lot of competition put up stuff that you question. Let me just give you a little inside look into how things work in our program. This, for example, is the win section. You're a lot like this person here. So I could see you achieving those kind of results in likely a month of hard work. That's a real easy way so to just good. drop some social proof without you having to because again, if I say it, you doubt it. If sure. you say it, you own it. I'm like, well, how much is that number? I'm having a little trouble reading it. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. She did do that. <laughs> so good. Awesome, man. What have you found like helps the show up rates on these calls? Because I think some people run traffic, they get the calls booked, people don't show. What have you found are some tips and tricks to get people to show up? Yeah. So aside from picking apart exactly how the calls are framed and the languaging leading up to it, one simple trick that you could implement no matter what your call booking strategy is immediately is a two-step process to make sure people show up, which is the day prior to your call, sending them a message along the lines of, hey, Anthony, just confirming we're still on for our call tomorrow at X time. Or, hey, Anthony, you pumped for your call tomorrow at X time. And then Here's the ninja trick. When they respond, yeah, don't respond that day. Actually wait until the next morning, the morning of the call itself to respond, awesome, see you then. Which allows you to have two touch points, one the day prior and one the day of without being needy in your languaging. Awesome. Now do you figure those, those go out email, they go out um, text message, Facebook messenger, or is it just dependent upon whatever the flow for somebody is? Yeah. So if you're collecting uh, phone numbers in your application process, that's best. So there's always good, better, best, right? Good email, better Facebook messenger, best text. Awesome.
Brilliant, dude. If you could go back in time and give your younger self some wisdom that would help him collapse some time and get results faster, what would you tell him? So many things. The biggest one that I would tell myself is the number two cardinal sin we were talking about. It's not about being liked. Because of how I grew up, because of, of what you mentioned with my sister being killed from a super early age, I always had this, I'll never be enough to make up for there not being my sister here, right? So that pattern of operation created this like underlying sense of unworthiness that I had to work super hard to get the love, the acknowledgement, the appreciation from others. And so I did. And I would do all these things. Like I was on, you know, the, the lacrosse team. I performed on stages with music and, and I did everything I could think to do. So in one side of the equation, it pushed me to be able to handle a workload and, and create material accomplishments that a lot of other people couldn't. However, because they came from that space, I could never actually receive the acknowledgement that I would get from them. It's a weird paradox because it would motivate the crap out of me to do more. But when I would get the praise that I so desperately wanted, it wouldn't land. So I would give myself the task, my younger self, of finding a mentor, a program, or some sort of outlet to do the deep internal work, which ultimately comes down to either your self-love or your self-worth. It can all be boiled down likely to one or both of those as the core issue. Because if you're trying to fill up that like, need for acknowledgement by doing sales calls, you're in the wrong space. <laughs> it, sales is an incredible transformational tool because you're going to get triggered by everything. Like, there's so many things that are going to come to you, and it's great opportunities for growth, but don't use it as a way to get validation. So and if I got that earlier, I'd be even further ahead than I am now. Awesome. Uh, if somebody follows your uh, advice here, what do you know is possible for them? Oh, I've had well over a handful of clients now surpass the million dollar a year run rate in their business. And not just run rate, but actually cumulatively collect a lot more than a million. I took a business from 20 grand a month to over 180 grand a month over the course of a few months. I know for a fact that if you genuinely grasp and apply even one or two of the strategies that we talked about today, you could potentially double your sales volume in the next week alone. Is everyone going to do that? No. In fact, most people won't. But if you right now are listening and you believe that you're capable of a next level, implement these strategies and trust that it's worked for hundreds of other people before you. And as long as you don't quit, eventually it will for you too. Awesome. If you guys want to learn more about Grant, just go to grantilertson.com. It's E-I-L-E-R-T-S-O-N.com, grantilertson.com for more sales training, all the good stuff. You have some type of VIP day thing too. What is that all about? And where people, where can they learn more about that? Yeah. So this is something because I full-time sell for and manage sales for another business. I, I, I'm in a few different businesses. So this is not full-time this is something I love to do on the side because I really enjoy getting to go deep with people. So every month I do one to two exclusive VIP days for businesses that are doing at least 15,000 a month right now that would like to be able to double that in the next coming months. I specifically work around sales systems and marketing systems to be able to increase revenue 
and we do it on a very intensive one-to-one basis. So that said, there's not any public information. If you're curious to know like whether or not it might be a fit to do that, let me know. I am more than happy to tell you it's not a good fit and not take your money because I really only want to work with projects that I'm super inspired to work with. That said, for the people I've done this with in the past, it's been dramatic exponential growth. Awesome. And so if you guys, uh, that sounds good to you guys, just go to his Facebook, just, just search him, Grant Eilertson. You can go to his website, find that stuff, reach out to him, send a private message, comment on his shit, whatever it takes to <laughs> get a hold of the dude. Uh, Grant, thank you so much for being here, brother. Really appreciate the wisdom you shared. Thank you. This has been a blast, my man. I so appreciate you bringing me on. Yeah, thanks. Well, there you have it, my friend, Grant Eilertson. What a great guy, right? He knows the stuff when it comes to closing cells. He shared some incredible value with you today. And I know when I first chose to dive deep into honing my sales skills inside the game of business, it was a complete game changer for me. And a lot of what he shared with you today, like I know that you can take this, you can run with it, using it during your sales conversation, and it's going to help you close more sales. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and it really inspired you in some way, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to know like what your biggest takeaway was. And so I just like encourage you to take a screenshot of you listening to this episode on your device and then post it to Instagram stories and then just tag me using at AJ Amix. I'm always wondering if this podcast is making a difference in people's lives. And I'm always really trying to make the show better. And so when you'll post a screenshot to your Instagram stories and tag me, it lets me know like, hey, we're doing good here. We're on the right path. So I'd love to see your screenshot. This, uh, you know, take a screenshot, post it on Instagram stories, tag me at AJ Amix, and um, that'd be great. So thank you so much for being here today. Until next time, my friend, I'm out. Peace. That's all for this episode of the Anthony John Amix podcast. But we have plenty more to help you achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. Head on over to AJAmix.com for exclusive resources, information, and tools to break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. We look forward to having you back for the next episode of the Anthony John Amix podcast. Bye for now.